This is a very dangerous development where you have the Speaker of the House openly calling for congressional committees to be used as really an obstruction of justice vehicle for Donald Trump. And so now they're going to take it to another level to meddle with the district attorney in, in Manhattan's investigation. It wouldn't surprise me if they try to find out who's actually on this grand jury and to go after them. It's a, a flagrant abuse of power, of congressional authority. This is not what oversight authority is for. Well, it is now. Welcome to 2023. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling there's something right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN, up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Desi Doyen, hello. Yes, hello. I'd like you to keep an eye on the news wires throughout <laughs> today's program. Yes. Let me know the minute, the minute that Donald Trump gets arrested, as he said he would <laughs> uh, today, based on those illegal leaks that he uh, he told his supporters he had received Unless, of course, Des, it turns out that he was lying about the entire thing. What? I know. It would be so out of character for him. <laughs> so just do let, you know, keep your, keep your eye on that. Uh, just the, let me know the minute sure. the uh, frog march uh, begins Absolutely. in Manhattan so we can cover it. Uh, so this is a very peculiar moment in history. We know with uh, what I describe as, I think I would describe as 99% certainty that the first ever indictment for U.S. president is coming, and most likely it's coming very soon. It could be this week. It could be next week. It could be in the next several months if, in fact, Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg decides for some reason to not indict Donald Trump, even as all signs at the moment seem to suggest that he will. Despite the lies of our disgraced former president and his attempt to incite yet another violent uprising by falsely claiming that he would be arrested on Tuesday, 
when Trump is indicted, if Trump is indicted, at least in New York and and or later in Georgia, he will not actually be arrested, as Trump said, at least not immediately. He will be indicted. He'll be ordered to show up, uh, turn himself in in New York or Georgia and or Georgia. Uh, And if he refuses, as we discussed on yesterday's program, well, that's another issue where nobody really knows what will happen next. Whether Florida law enforcement under the control of Governor Ron DeSantis would then order Trump to be arrested and extradited to New York, which also seems wildly unlikely. So we really do not know what is going to happen next. And that's a very strange place to be. Even when we have dealt with things like, you know, Trump's two, count them, two historic impeachments and and Senate trials to go with them, as unprecedented as they were, we still had a sense of what would happen next and the timeline for it and how it was likely to play out. Yeah, because we'd been through things like that before. But now in, in this moment, there's really no actual historical model for what is happening or what is about to happen. We We have no idea. And I'm not even sure how to cover it from day to day, to be honest with you. So I hope you will forgive me as I join everyone else in the world, really, in trying to figure out, you know, how to do that uh, on a day to day and moment by moment basis. Uh, There really is no guide for this that I'm aware of. (laughs) It's like reporting from limbo. It really it is. I mean, it's it, there's no model to follow. It's unless we look at the model of third world nations, maybe, and which may end up being our best reference as this moves forward. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, in any event, I noted um, some of this when I posted yesterday's show uh, last night at bradblog.com and about how nobody really knows what comes next after an indictment, how this is going to work. I, I think I headlined yesterday's show when I posted it as uh Indictment week? If so, what then? Well, I received a comment from somebody named Raymond Guy over at Facebook, where we post a link to each day's show at uh, the Brad blog page on Facebook. And Ray has commented there before, usually on our Sunday tunes. And though his own uh, Facebook page suggests he is liberal ish, he seems to always comment somehow in support, go figure, of Donald Trump. In response to the headline for yesterday's program, which I don't suspect he actually listened to, uh, he wrote uh, with with obvious snark, uh, quote, how insightful, how central to our lives, how Brad, how sad. Bye bye. Now, uh, definite high marks there for the poesy. Uh, Brief, elegant, to the point, uh, good meter. It even rhymes in part. So nicely done in that regard. But still, it was a little vague, especially since my original posting also referred to other stuff that we covered on uh, our previous program, including the 20th anniversary of the U.S. invasion of Iraq, with still no accountability for that. And the fact that we just learned this past weekend that likely 2024 GOP presidential candidate Ron DeSantis was instrumental himself in torture at Guantanamo Bay back during that same period during the war. So I responded to Raymond to say, uh, quote, not exactly sure what you're referring to, Ray. Got specifics for me before you leave. If it's criminal accountability for a U.S. president for the first time in ever, I'm not sure how that's not, quote, central to our lives. 
particularly on the 20th anniversary of George W. Bush's unlawful Iraqi invasion, as revelations emerge that Ron DeSantis was instrumental in torture at Gitmo, and as new news emerges that Ronald Reagan prevented the release of American hostages in Iran uh, before he was elected. But hopefully you will fill me in before you go, Ray. Thanks. He replied, in turn, with his trademark brevity, You are a joke. Yes, on this anniversary, you think Donnie should be the headline. Bye bye You are a joke, a tired old joke. <laughs> okay. Well, I may be tired, but anyway, uh, I replied in turn with my trademark, too many words. Uh, thanks for clarifying, Ray. Uh, by the way, this you, and I linked to a post that he had written on his own Facebook page, citing a monument that was supposedly in Iraq somewhere, a monument to the shoe that was thrown at uh, George W. Bush in Iraq, if you recall that. Uh, and uh, Ray had added on his own uh, post, on his own page, uh, quote, the USA should have a long line of POTUSes that have been found guilty of war crimes. That includes echo and industrial terrorists. Hashtag Joe Mencha. Just to give you an idea where this guy may be coming from. So uh, I, I asked, is that his post? And I added, for the record, we spent quite a bit of time discussing the 20th anniversary and the need for accountability and how Donald Trump does not happen without guys like George W. Bush and Dick Cheney not being held accountable. That was the uh, you know big part of what we covered on uh, yesterday's program. Yeah, that the culture of not making accountability important means that the law breaking will continue. I noted, but uh, somehow you both failed to listen to that program before commenting on it here and otherwise don't seem to be able to connect the dots. If you are unable to get behind accountability for criminality by a president, I suspect you'll never find the accountability that you at least pretend to support when it comes to war crimes by the folks who made Donald Trump possible at least 20 years ago. You may wish to rethink things, Ray. Hopefully not uh, reading our Facebook page will give you the time and space to figure out how lost you have become amid your brain poisoning by the right. But bye-bye and best of luck to you, Ray. Now, I note that um, in uh, his newsletter today, our old friend Will Bunch, national columnist at the Philadelphia Inquirer, had a very similar theme. Uh, it was uh, a newsletter headlined U.S. Presidents and Their Crime Spree Since 1968. Twenty years ago this week, he writes, I became the person that I am today. It's no exaggeration to say that watching George W. Bush's Iraq war unfold as a slow train wreck of blatant government lies caused a then 44-year-old to question everything especially journalism, he said, which I'd entered as a child of Watergate, convinced that truth-telling would prevent unjust wars. Two decades later, I'm still demanding accountability, says Will Bunch. Now, I'm right there with you, Will. He goes on to cite Richard Nixon's claim that he was not a crook, and as uh, Nixon told interviewer David Frost about the Watergate crime and cover-up and conspiracy, quote, when the president does it, it means it is not illegal. That is a discredited claim that, by the way, Donald Trump has attempted to revive in recent years. 
As Bunch notes, uh, quote, even more outrageous than Nixon's statement is that decades of high crimes and misdemeanors at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue seem to have proved him right until apparently this week. Bunch explains the likely belated charges for Trump's $130,000 hush money payment to porn star Stormy Daniels, which helped him win the 2016 presidential election. That was no small crime, as some people are, are painting this as. And then the subsequent payouts to Michael Cohen of, uh, I think, more than $400,000 to cover all of that up. And the fact that what Trump may soon be charged with in New York is being regarded as a relatively minor crime by many. And I do not see it as such. Uh, I guess uh, some who are comparing it to an attempt to overthrow the U.S. government itself with a violent insurrection on January 6th. Sure. I guess it's less than that, I guess. Or the theft of tens of thousands of pages of documents, some highly classified from the White House. Uh, OK, maybe it's less than that. I don't know. But I, I basically I think those folks are wrong. Hu the hush money crime and its cover up while Donald Trump sat in the White House. Those are very serious crimes. And they should have been prosecuted long ago. And they were prosecuted long ago in the case of Trump's lawyer, Michael Cohen. He was sentenced to prison for it before Trump's own appointees at the Department of Justice actually ordered the U.S. District Attorney's Office in New York to knock it off, to shut down any further investigation of Trump's role as the director and the benefactor of that criminal conspiracy. Now, I've heard, uh, you know, Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy and others out there and, and certainly Trump saying, well, the, uh, the Department of Justice already uh, took a look at this and decided not to prosecute. No, they didn't. They were ordered by Donald Trump's own attorney general not to prosecute. Anyway, Bunch notes uh, the evidence that uh, supporters of Ronald Reagan back in 1980 actually traveled throughout the Mideast to instruct Iran not to release the American hostages after the 1980 election. When they were told that they would get a better deal from Reagan if they waited before releasing the hostages than they would under Jimmy Carter. And in that case, as with Nixon, who was pardoned uh, by uh, Gerald Ford... And in the case of George W. Bush and Dick Cheney lying us into war, in all of those cases, there was never any accountability because apparently, you know, well, they were U.S. presidents and they were too big to indict or something. Which, by the way, also reflects terribly on the Democratic administrations that did not bring those former criminal presidents to justice. So uh, there was, as, as uh, Will Bunch writes, there was never any real talk about charging George Bush or Dick Cheney for acts so immoral that America's global image was permanently damaged. He writes near the end of, uh, end of his piece, uh, The one and only time I had an opportunity to question Barack Obama when he came to the Inquirer in April of 2008, I wanted to know if there would be accountability for torture. And I got a mealy-mouthed answer. Democrats feared the political backlash for pursuing crimes that were committed in broad daylight. A president did it, but it was not illegal. 
even as 4,550 Americans and hundreds of thousands of Iraqis died for Bush's lies. Do you really think, he writes, it's a coincidence that public faith in government has plunged from 77% in the mid-1960s, according to Pew, to near-record lows of just 20% last year. No wonder, he says, we've seen the nihilism of more and more Americans buying guns or abusing opioids or electing a corrupt clown like Donald Trump as our president. Today, he says, with Trump for the first time facing some serious consequences for more than 40 years of bad behavior in the public sphere, a chorus of critics is attacking Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg's case as too small and inconsequential. It's not that POTUS 45 didn't do what he's being accused of. His personal lawyer, Michael Cohen, has already done prison time for the same scheme, but that an ex-president shouldn't be tagged with a misdemeanor. And by the way, we don't know if this actually will be a misdemeanor or if it'll be a felony charge at this point. But even if a misdemeanor, Bunch argues, let me get this straight. We look the other way when our leaders oversee war crimes or greenlight torture or commit quasi-treason with foreign adversaries because the American presidency is too big to fail. But we're also going to ignore a cut-and-dried lower-level crime because it's too small. I'd argue, he writes, that charging Trump with violating a law that applies to 333 million other Americans is a first baby step toward undoing 55 years of gross injustice, and it is long overdue. We need to re rediscover that it's still illegal even when a president does it writes Will Bunch at the Inquirer. Well said. And I would also add that the Stormy Daniels hush money crime that helped Trump get elected in 2016, I mean, all of the subsequent crimes flow from that one. It, uh, yeah. And it is sad that, uh, you know, there, there are some so-called liberals or progressives out there, folks like my friend Raymond Guy on Facebook, uh, who, as noted, have been so brain poisoned at this point, they can't even wrap their heads around this. I get it. I understand it. But it is sad. And those same folks are being similarly manipulated, by the way, when it comes to things like Russia's autocratic imperialistic assault on neighboring democratic Ukraine. But that won't keep us, at least on this program, from doing what is right, uh, no matter how confusing it really all is right now. But thank you for the input, Raymond, and to everyone else. Uh, also happy for your comments at Facebook, on, on Twitter, at Daily Coast, or Bradblog.com, where we post the show, uh, or by email via Bradcast at Bradblog.com. A few related news items then today as we remain buckled up awaiting whatever happens next. Uh, we noted uh, yesterday the uh, fact that far-right Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan, uh, as the uh, Republican Party's new chair of the House Judiciary Committee, along with the new GOP chairs of the House Oversight Committee and House Administration Committee, they have all sent a letter to District Attorney Alvin Bragg in New York demanding his testimony and all documents regarding this grand jury criminal investigation on state charges in New York, which I described yesterday as 
the uh, Republicans here weaponizing the federal government, the same Republicans that have set up a committee to pretend that they are defending against it. I should have also noted at the time uh, that as Jim Jordan and Speaker Kevin McCarthy, etc., have already demonstrated in the previous Congress, answering congressional subpoenas is now optional, apparently. You, you don't have to do it if you don't feel like it, as Jim Jordan and Kevin McCarthy and Pennsylvania's Scott Perry, Arizona's Andy Biggs, as they all demonstrated last year when they refused to answer lawful congressional subpoenas from the House January 6th committee, and they faced no accountability for having done so. So, uh, you know, Alvin Bragg doesn't really even need to worry about this. I'm not sure why he would feel like he needs to answer the subpoena at all, which actually actually is the weaponization of the federal government in this case. The U.S. House Judiciary Committee has zero oversight responsibility over an elected state prosecutor or his investigation, his criminal investigation in New York. As former right-wing current never-Trumper Kurt Bardella noted this morning on Morning Joe, this is a very dangerous development where you have the Speaker of the House openly calling for congressional committees to be used as really an obstruction of justice vehicle for Donald Trump. And we've seen to this point almost every activity conducted by the Judiciary Oversight and the so-called Weaponization Committee has been to go after the president, the former president's political adversaries, the current president and his family. And so now they're going to take it to another level to meddle with the district attorney in, in Manhattan's investigation. So they're going to start targeting the people who are conducting that investigation. They're going to go after the attorneys. They're going to go after the, what evidence they have. They're going to go after, heck, it wouldn't surprise me if they tried to find out who's actually on this grand jury and to go after them and to do deep oppo research on anyone that's a part of this process to try to undermine this case. And it's a, a flagrant abuse of power, of congressional authority. This is not what oversight authority is for. Oversight authority is to look at the federal government, to look at how taxpayer resources are being used and deployed at the federal level, not to meddle with a Manhattan DA investigation. It's Kurt Bardella on MSNBC today. In any event, Bragg says that none of this will deter his office from the pursuit of justice and for uh, the law and order and crime fighting that Republicans claim to be concerned about as long as it isn't a Republican that is facing that justice. As Fox News reports today uh, Bragg's office has issued a statement after the uh, top House Republicans demanded he testify to Congress on a possible indictment of Donald Trump. Quote, we will not be intimidated by attempts to undermine the justice process, nor will we let baseless accusations deter us from fairly applying the law. That, according to a spokesperson in Bragg's office, Quote, in every prosecution, we follow the law without fear or favor to uncover the truth. Our skilled, honest and dedicated lawyers remain hard at work, the spokesperson added. Now, whether that ends up being true, well, that remains to be seen. If uh, Yahoo News investigative journalist Michael Isakoff can be believed here, Bragg may already be considering pulling at least a few punches. Isakoff reported last night, lo not long after we got off air, the Bragg's office is wrestling with whether to enforce standard procedures for Trump, including handcuffing him and forcing him to undergo a humiliating perp walk if he is indicted. That, according to a source directly familiar with discussions of the issue, says Isakoff. 
The questions about how to treat Trump if, as many expect, he becomes a defendant in the coming days has emerged as a central issue in the ongoing negotiations between Bragg's office and city and federal law enforcement agencies, including the U.S. Secret Service, which is charged with protecting the safety of former presidents. For example, would a presidential Secret Service detail even allow a former president to be handcuffed? Don't know. Uh, does that go against their mission of protecting that president? Iskoff notes it's long been standard protocol for white collar defendants charged with cr felony crimes in New York that they are brought into a courthouse in lower Manhattan for processing. Once there, the defendants are held in a jail cell. Donald Trump would be held in a jail cell under the normal protocol. Would the Secret Service allow that? While authorities begin processing uh, and, and the, the beginning of, of, of fingerprinting them, taking their mug shots, escorting them, uh, almost always in handcuffs down a hallway in full view of cameras in the media, the proverbial perp walk. But city officials acknowledge the normal rules may not actually apply to Trump. The purported purpose of jailing and handcuffing defendants is to present, prevent them from fleeing, they claim, which would be highly unlikely, if not impossible, for someone as well known as Trump. Quote, this is not normal, said the source. This is somebody who has a protective detail, the Secret Service. Uh, they added that uh, they've got a great argument that it would be literally impossible for him to flee the scene inside a New York City courthouse <laughs> when he'll be surrounded by federal agents. On the other hand, Bragg and the prosecutors in the office have made it clear they intend to treat Trump as they would any other defendant. So ultimately, all of this is going to be up to Bragg. And whether he wants to play hardball and force Trump to undergo standard procedures or whether they'll make special accommodations for the first former president to be charged with criminal conduct. In the meantime, the source said New York City police are ramping up security amid heightened concerns in light of Trump's repeated calls for his supporters to protest any indictment. Among the security measures, the sources said plainclothes detectives in New York City have been told to wear their uniforms all week in case they are urgently needed if any protests get out of control. And to that end, yesterday we also discussed both Trump's repeated all caps pleas to his supporters to uh, protest, 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 and, and how some of those supporters at a well-known Trump's web supporting website have called for surrounding Mar-a-Lago with armed protesters and or shutting down all of the bridges and tunnels that lead into New York City. Well, there's been little sign of such mass protests so far. And as I uh, believe I may have quipped uh, yesterday, for good reason, I think I, I mentioned that there's a question of how many of these folks are not already in jail for the last time they were <laughs> dumb enough to good, answer Trump's uh, call for good protest. Point. Uh, but as uh, Tess Owen at Fox, uh, I'm sorry, Advice, very different, Advice uh, reported uh, yesterday, there may be another reason that these MAGA folks are failing to show up. They're scared it is all a trap. 
She writes, the far right cannot seem to agree on how they should respond to a potential indictment of Trump. Many fear getting caught up in a mass arrest repeat of January 6th. So there's been discussion on Trump's Truth Social website and at a, another uh, Trump website about whether folks should gather at the Manhattan courthouse downtown, whether they should drive trucks into Manhattan to jam up traffic or maybe hold a nationwide strike. There have been some uh, very explicit calls at the same time for violence, for shooting law enforcement officers at Mar-a-Lago or calling for the violent assassination of anyone involved in Trump's prosecution. But as Owen reports, some of Trump's supporters seem to be worried about the possibility of walking into a repeat of January 6. Many continue to believe the baseless Fed-surrection conspiracy. <laughs> right. That claims that FBI agents orchestrated January 6th with the goal of smearing Trump supporters. Some feel as though Trump abandoned his loyal flock when they needed him most. They did, he did nothing to intervene as more than a thousand were eventually arrested for what they did on January 6th. InfoWars contributor Paul Joseph Watson polled uh, almost 2,000 Truth Social users with the question, quote, is the potential protest against Trump being arrested a J6 style trap? 85% of the respondents said yes. But Trump told them to be there. It makes no sense. Well, if you're going to start making sense out of this, <laughs> you know, we might as well quit here. Uh, but uh, listen, I think they are right. I think it is totally a trap. <laughs> I think it is set by Donald Trump, and I hope. I hope you people don't fall for it. The uh, Greg Phillips, a guy who is the leader of a uh, of an election conspiracy group, right wing election conspiracy group called True the Vote, which claims to be a nonpartisan election integrity group. But, you know, uh, Greg Phillips, who was jailed last November for contempt of court, he wrote on Truth Social, quote, should you decide to protest the arrest of Trump? I'm sorry, President Trump, be mindful of our brothers and sisters who have become victims of instigators. You will be arrested. They are already planning the assault on freedom of speech. Follow your own true north. If it seems odd, it probably is a setup. Probably. It's definitely a setup. <laughs> Do not fall for it. Some uh, Proud Boy chapters on Telegram have apparently shared an article by... Uh, a far right wing uh, conspiracy website known as Gateway Pundit stating that peaceful prayer protests are being called for nationwide, which is perfect. Sounds good. Pray him out of this indictment. That will totally do it. Pastors for Trump, a Christian national group, organized a prayer call on Monday evening. The founder of the group published the invitation uh, again at Gateway Pundit, writing a uh, quote, the war against Trump is a war against Christianity. That's right. Holding Trump accountable for cheating to win the 2016 election by paying off a porn star to keep her quiet about having had sex with her when Trump's wife was taking care of their four-month-old newborn, that is totally a war against Christianity. Nailed it. How could anyone see it any other way? 
Top Republicans like uh, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy are urging Trump supporters to avoid protesting. Far-right Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene also weighed in. She says Trump supporters do not need to protest because she thinks a Trump indictment is almost certainly going to secure uh, a Republican victory in the 2024 election. Which is fine, but then why is Donald Trump and Jim Jordan and the rest of them claiming that this is nothing more than an attempt to harm Donald Trump's chances in the 2024 election? Pick a side, guys. But even with the uh, divide over whether protesting for Trump is a good idea, many of his supporters, writes Owens, uh, think his potential arrest is a harbinger of very bad things to come. Looks like they are accelerating the Civil War to this week, one user at Patriots.win wrote. Hold the effing line, guys. Don't be afraid to use your constitutional rights. Remember, the Second Amendment is there in case the First Amendment fails. That sounds dark. And uh, particularly, sadly, Trump-supporting actor Randy Quaid, who I, I think he did not used to be kind of crazy, but he is now. Uh, he wrote on his own Truth Social page, uh, quote, if Trump is arrested on Tuesday, there will be a spring awakening in this country that will make January 6th look like a children's birthday party. Well, luckily, it does not look like Trump is going to be arrested on Tuesday. It was just Trump lying to you guys again. Sorry, Randy. You feel like a chump yet? Or are you going to keep falling for it? I think we know the answer. Let's take a quick break here, and we are back with more fresh harbingers of right-wing implosion. This time, uh, or perhaps I should say still, and once again, at Fox News. That and Desi Doyen's latest Green News report are all ahead on today's broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Not yet, but maybe soon. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. A uh, few weeks ago on this program, after some of the jaw-dropping revelations of corruption and deceit and out-and-out lying about claims of fraud in the 2020 presidential election among Fox News executives and producers and their and on-air hosts, as revealed via text messages and emails from these yutzes in Dominion, uh, Dominion Voting Systems $1.6 billion defamation lawsuit against the right-wing propaganda outlet. We were joined on the show by Angelo Carasone, the president of media watchdog group Media Matters for America on the show. Carasone 
made his name by organizing campaigns against Fox News advertisers. And that eventually resulted in Glenn Beck and Bill O'Reilly and so forth being pushed off of the network. So he knows a lot about how the uh, network and Fox News all works. And this lawsuit by Dominion for $1.6 billion, it looks very bad for them. Uh, and I asked Carasone whether... You know, even if they lose this thing, uh, it's one point six billion is a ton of money. But frankly, would even that much money make a dent in the pockets of the Murdoch family, the owners of Fox News? If it was just about the one point six billion dollars, yeah. they would survive it. Probably it would be really harmful. It would hurt, mm -hmm. but they would survive it. But it's bigger in a couple ways. Number one, Fox News and News Corp, the two companies owned by the Murdochs, were yeah. on a glide path to remerging. Um, that deal is no longer happening because of this tri trial. It no longer became financially viable. Um, so one, it stopped a massive consolidation, and the next step would have been to make another run at buying CNN, uh, and I think they would have been successful this time. So really? I think one, at minimum, it sort of puts up some roadblocks to additional acquisitions by the Murdochs. The second reason, though, that I think a judgment or settlement or even the case itself is significant is here's why. It's not just going to end at the $1.6 billion. Because what would end up happening is that shareholders themselves would then begin to sue for breach of fiduciary duty. Mm. Because it's very apparent that the Murdochs made misrepresentations about the nature of this litigation for quite some time, and they're obligated to sort of be honest uh, to some extent with their, with their shareholders. So they made some misrepresentations that's probably going to get them in hot water. They did not maximize value here. They clearly were breaching fiduciary duty by not looking around the bend. And the Murdochs themselves actually have a history of losing these shareholder losses. Part of the reason that most people don't know that they've been sued a bunch by shareholders is mm. that the Murdochs have a sort of this reflex of settling with shareholders very quickly uh -huh. because of the precarious way in which they control the company. They don't actually have enough shares. to. Con they're not like Zuckerberg, uh -huh. where he controls the company no matter what. They actually have to play a little bit of a dance. They only have about 30-ish percent of the stake. So they still have to keep some pretty big players in the sort of happy mm -hmm. in order to make sure they always have functional control of this property. And so all that's to say, losing this is losing a lot of money. It's going to dip into their acquisition capabilities. But more importantly, the significance will have a cascade because it will set them up for additional litigation that will compound the problem. They won't be able to sustain that from a financial perspective. It puts control of the company in jeopardy. And the other thing is that it's going to weaken their argument as they go through these fights with cable companies. It actually gives cable companies, which is the real source of their revenue, the ammunition they've been waiting for to say, you know what, we're not going to increase our rates this year, and you're going to take it. Mm. Um, and the Murdochs actually, Fox News can't survive unless they not just maintain their current inflated fees, mm -hmm. but they actually need to increase them quite significantly over the next couple of years to make up for their reduced advertising revenue. So... That's how this sort of fits in. It's sort of like a Jenga puzzle. Like, yes. it, 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 you know, pulling one block doesn't, is not going to topple it down, yeah. but it's certainly going to make it a lot more vulnerable to toppling. Um, and this one is a pretty key part of that piece. Just the tiniest little breeze will probably knock the rest of it over. 
So that was Angelo Carson on the broadcast uh, several weeks ago, and I, I noted in response to uh, his remarks there in my interview with him that there was also another defamation lawsuit for $2.7 billion. Yes. That's pending against Fox, uh, filed by another voting machine company named Smartmatic. So, you know, the Republican Party, as we talked in the previous segment, is having a lot of a lot of problems. There are a lot of harbingers of a potential Republican implosion politically and, of course, at their uh, their leading fake news site, Fox News, which could be in a lot of trouble depending on how things go. That's a lot of breezing blowing towards that Jenga <laughs> tower, it seems to me. And all of that was without accounting for now what we are finding, Fox News insiders eating the company alive from the inside. In response to all of this, as reported by The New York Times on Monday, a Fox News producer who has worked with the hosts Maria Bartiromo and Tucker Carlson filed lawsuits against the company in New York and Delaware on Monday, accusing Fox lawyers of coercing her into giving misleading testimony in the continuing legal battle around the network's coverage of false claims about election fraud. Now, before I go into the details here, let me make clear, there are no good guys here. Not Fox News, certainly not Maria Bartiromo or Tucker Carlson or this particular producer. No good guys here. But boy, is this uh, turning into a mess for Fox News and the Murdochs. Also not good guys. The producer... Abby Grossberg said Fox lawyers had tried to position her and Bartiromo to take the blame for Fox's repeated airing of conspiracy theories about Dominion voting systems and the election vendor's supposed role in manipulating the results of the 2020 election. Grossberg said the effort to place blame on her and Bartiromo was rooted in rampant misogyny and discrimination at the network. But of course, that should have been a little surprise to her or anyone else who goes to work there. As NPR's David Fulkenflick notes in his coverage of this suit, uh, Fox has spent years trying to shed the legacy of its late chairman, Roger Ailes, who was ousted after numerous women came forward with allegations of sexual harassment and assault. Fox paid tens of millions of dollars to settle those allegations. Its ultimate cost, including the buying out of Ailes to get him out of there, exceeded an estimated $200 million. The new law. So, you know, it really is it a surprise that there's misogyny going on at Fox News? Yeah, there was a whole movie about it called Bombshell where they actually, you know, portrayed that. And a whole TV series about it called The Loudest Guy in the Room yes. or something like that. So anyway, she is shocked, shocked that there is misogyny going on at Fox News. Anyway, uh, the new lawsuits filed by Grossberg, coupled with the revelations from the Dominion legal fight, shed light on the rivalries and turf battles that raged at Fox in the wake of the 2020 election, according to The Times, as network executives fought to hold on to viewers who were furious at the network for accurately reporting that Donald Trump had lost in Arizona on election night, which he did. And yet they were all mad at them for, you know, telling the truth about it. The uh, the uh, 
the viewers were and they went elsewhere and this freaked out Fox. The lawsuit also includes details about Grossberg's work, uh, her work life at Fox and on Tucker Carlson's show where she became a booking producer last year after working on Bartiromo's show. Grossberg says she and other women endured frank and open sexism from co-workers and superiors at the network. The network's disregard for women, Grossberg alleged, left her and Bartiromo understaffed, stretched too thinly, she claimed, to properly vet the truthfulness of claims made against Dominion on the air. Grossberg said at times that she was the only full-time employee dedicated solely to Bartiromo's Sunday morning show. Well, (laughs) boo-hoo. You know, at times, like every single day, uh, Desi and I are the only employees dedicated solely to this show, and yet somehow we manage to vet the truthfulness of claims that are made on this show. But a weekly program on Fox News, they didn't have the resources to do so? Please. In her uh, complaints, Grossberg accuses lawyers for Fox of coaching her in, quote, a coercive and intimidating manner. And this could be a serious problem for Fox. Uh, This before her September deposition in the Dominion case. Uh, The lawyers, she said, gave her the impression that she had to avoid mentioning prominent male executives and on-air talent in order to protect them from blame while putting her own reputation at risk. That's what the culture is there, said Grossberg in an interview with The Times on Monday. They don't respect or value women. And it just makes me want to say, oh, you're just figuring this out. I mean, who did you think has been paying your handsome salary for all of these years? Good grief. On uh, Monday afternoon, Fox filed its own suit against Grossberg, seeking to enjoin her from filing claims that would shed light on her discussions with the company's lawyers. Fox also placed Grossberg on forced administrative leave in the bargain. In a statement, a Fox spokeswoman said Fox News Media engaged an independent outside counsel to immediately investigate the concerns raised by Ms. Grossberg, which were made following a critical performance review. We will vigorously defend these claims. According to the lawsuits filed by Grossberg, Fox superiors called Bartiromo a, quote, crazy bitch who was, quote, menopausal. Last year, on her first full day working for Tucker Carlson's show, according to the suit, Grossberg discovered that the show's Manhattan workspace was decorated with large pictures of Nancy Pelosi wearing, quote, a plunging bathing suit revealing her cleavage. Ew. That's kind of bizarre. That's very bizarre. Some weird details coming out of this lawsuit. Yeah, Carlson's top producer called Grossberg into his office at one point to ask whether Bartiromo was having a sexual relationship with House Republican leader at the time, Kevin McCarthy. Carlson's staff joked about Jews and freely deployed a vulgar term for women, according to the complaint. Grossberg alleges staffers were polled on two separate occasions on which of the two female candidates for Michigan governor that they would like to have sex with. Oh, dear. Some text exchanges between Grossberg and Bartiromo were released as part of the court filings in the Dominion lawsuit. In one instance, Bartiromo asked Grossberg if she should have pushed Trump 
in an interview uh, on on whether he would peacefully transition from the presidency, Gross, Grossberg replied, quote, to be honest, our audience doesn't want to hear about a peaceful transition. So, but during her deposition in the Dominion suit, Grossberg was asked if she cared whether claims made on Bartiromo's show were true or false. According to the transcript, Grossberg answered no, because we didn't know if they were true or false at the time. And when asked if she felt it was important to correct a false claim that was made on the air, Grossberg answered no, according to the deposition. But in her lawsuits, Grossberg said that she would have answered those questions in her deposition differently uh, but she had been, quote, coached by and intimidated by Fox lawyers, which, frankly, I have no doubt is true. But she was not coached in her text messages with Bartiromo when she said that their audience doesn't want to hear about a peaceful transition. So, you know, pick your side on this one. Grossberg claimed that Fox lawyers pressured her to downplay a text exchange between her and a then senior vice president of Weekend News regarding a segment with Rudy Giuliani. Clark, the uh, senior vice president, had texted, quote, there will be no fact checking today. Which kind of should be Fox News's logo. Apparently. You know? Now they're not using fair and balanced anymore, but now it should be Fox News. No fact checking today. Grossberg said she had understood uh, that Vice President Clark to mean that Bartiromo was not to push back against Giuliani's false claims of widespread election fraud. So, uh, what a mess. Uh, what a tangled web we weave when Fox News. Practices to deceive. Indeed. And they're not just practicing. They've gotten very, very good at it over the years. <laughs> I sure hope all of this works out well for Fox. All right. Desi Doyen and the Green News Report fact-checked all by herself <laughs> is next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Okay, now I haven't mentioned uh, specifics of what you're covering on today's Green News Report because, frankly, covering all of those harbingers of Republican implosion in the previous <laughs> two blocks, yes. that was kind of a lot, well, more fun than the harbingers that you have uh, for us. Yes, yes, unfortunately. Uh, or that the UN has for us. In today's Green News Report. Dear friends, humanity is on thin ice and that ice is melting fast. Scientists warn the window to avoid dangerous, irreversible warming is rapidly closing. Plus, California hit with 12th major storm as Argentina broils under record-shattering heat. All of those insane stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. You see, there's a 5,000-mile-long blob of seaweed heading for... It's going to hit the beaches in Florida, and I'm just waiting for DeSantis to say, well, the ocean is too woke. Uh, and, 
Won't be long. This is your Green News Report. It's, it's shocking what fish are learning in their schools. <laughs> Okay, Desi Doyen, I thought it was over, then I thought it was over again, then I thought it was over again, but it's still not over, is it? (laughs) No, it is not. California this week is grappling with its 12th major storm in a row with another round of widespread flooding, infrastructure damage, and knocking out power to tens of thousands. You know, in a normal good year, we get maybe two, maybe three of these storms. Now we have 12? The good news is that the extreme precipitation has begun to ease, but not erase, the state's long-term drought after the driest three years ever recorded. Experts say the state's surface water supplies, like reservoirs and rivers, are in good shape, but issues remain for the state's overdrawn groundwater supplies that take years of sufficient rain to refill. It feels like we have had years of sufficient rain in just the past two or three months. And it's still not enough. Unbelievable. Argentina is suffering an unprecedented, endless, brutal heat wave that officials say, quote, has no similarities in history. Temperatures have soared to record-shattering levels, causing crops to wither, triggering widespread wildfires, and increasing political pressure in a country already facing an economic crisis. Argentina is a key global supplier of food and is also suffering its worst drought in decades that has cost at least $14 billion in agriculture losses. Mm. Speaking of impacts, the climate time bomb is ticking. But today's IPCC report is a how-to guide to defuse the climate time bomb. That was UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres on Monday at the release of a major new climate science report by hundreds of scientists with the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. The IPCC report's conclusions are blunt. Burning fossil fuels is threatening human civilization and the stability of life on Earth. Humanity's greenhouse gas emissions have already warmed the planet about 1.2 degrees Celsius over pre industrial levels. We're already seeing widespread adverse impacts, intensifying extreme weather disasters, rapidly rising seas, water scarcity, floods, droughts, heat waves, and more. The report says humanity still has a chance to prevent the most severe consequences of man-made climate change, but that chance is rapidly moving out of reach. But the report offers a blueprint for solutions on how to defuse that climate bomb. It details many actions to adapt to coming climate impacts that are now unavoidable, and the authors are adamant that there are many solutions ready right now to avoid catastrophic warming and prevent further warming by pivoting away from fossil fuels, which will save millions of lives from extreme weather disasters, and would deliver immediate benefits in cleaning up pollution. The science panel's report calls for a swift, sharp reduction in fossil fuel use to stay under the 1.5 degrees Celsius warming target and avoid overshooting safer planetary boundaries. That means cutting 60 percent of greenhouse gas emissions in just 12 years. Guterres also called for an end to new oil and gas exploration. He said wealthy countries should stop using coal, oil and gas by 2040 and boost funding to help developing countries shift more quickly to clean energy and adapt to impact. And there is good news. Global actions and policies to reduce greenhouse gas emissions have so far had an actual measurable effect on our trajectory. Russia's war on Ukraine forced Europe to accelerate its deployment of renewable energy, demonstrating that a rapid shift is doable. Here's Secretary General Guterres. 
This report is a clarion call to massively fast-track climate efforts by every country and every sector and on every time frame. In short, our world needs climate action on all fronts, everything, everywhere, all at once. So the IPCC finds that faster sustained emissions cuts by 2035 are feasible, that we have all the technology and tools we need to prevent catastrophic impacts. Doing so will save lives and pollution benefits would be massive and immediate. Bottom line, the report says, quote, the choices and actions implemented in this decade will have impacts now and for thousands of years. I don't know how. The U.N. could possibly be any clearer in their warnings year after year after year. The only question is, uh, when are we going to start paying attention to those warnings? And yep. will it be too late by then? For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. You well, thank you for dropping that bomb on all of us, Desiree. <laughs> well, you know, not my fault that, you know, it can't always be good news, but I think that there is important good news that is in there, that the actions taken so far have actually flattened the curve, as it were, has actually made things slightly better on our trajectory. And Europe shows that when policies are aligned, when Europe suddenly had to switch away from Russian gas, when policies are aligned with a goal... It can actually be done. You just have to try. Don't try and make it uh, better than it was. <laughs> it was a disaster what the U.N. is warning about. Is. Nobody is. But you yeah. can try to uh, make it better. And I right. think that's, of course, where we have to focus our energies. All right. We will uh, leave it there with the optimist, as with the always optimistic, <laughs> Ms. Desi Doyen. My thanks. She is our producer. My thanks also to you for joining us for uh, a part of your day or night. It is always greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, they are all available for free. No paywall whatsoever at bradblog.com. That is made possible thanks to those of you who support the work that Desi and I try to do every day over your public airwaves by clicking one of them donate buttons at bradblog.com or just going straight to bradblog.com slash donate. You can drop me email as well. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks, Twitters, and Mastodons, I am the Brad Blog. You'll find Desi at those same places. Yep. She is Green News Report. Please visit me. Send her my best regards. Yes. All right, that's it. We'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.